Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you are listening to Pregnancy Parenting and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of those topics and so many more. I am a nurse with a 20-year history in labor and delivery. I'm a parent, an advocate, and an author. I coach writers how to get book deals. I write for a bunch of folks about healthcare and feminism and politics and then some. I also host this podcast, which started after my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, came out a few years back. That book sells wherever you get your books, so pick up a copy. And this is the book I wrote where I dole out common sense labor nurse advice on how to navigate pregnancy, prenatal care, and birth in the U.S. birth system. Now, one might say I wear a lot of hats, and that's true. I am living a big life in a big family, and that's just the way I like it. So now about that big family. One of the things we talk a lot about here on the podcast are the ways that women and parents, but mostly women, navigate their careers after they become mothers. I have heard from so many young women, those raised mostly in the 21st century, um, I've heard from them that they didn't realize how important feminism was or how relevant it was in their life until their maternity leave was over. Then they had to find childcare and go back to work whether they wanted to or not. Now, since most women can't afford to stay home from work for long after they've had a baby, because we don't have guaranteed paid maternity leave here in the United States, so many women have to find childcare so they can work. Childcare is expensive, scarce, and I dare say that once you become a mother, it's the most important factor in your ability to earn a living. Childcare. High quality, staffed by smart, kind, skilled providers in safe, clean environments that our children want to go to and where they can stay healthy and thrive. That's all we want. That's all anyone should want for anyone's children. Now, in my family, um, most of you know, I raised a bunch of kids. My child care system uh, was kind of a cobbled together Uh, I won't say mess because it worked and it turned out beautifully, but it consisted of me working night shift while my husband worked day shift, plus the help of my sisters, a couple of good, good friends, and eventually my beloved nanny, Sarah. I didn't get anywhere near enough sleep for more than a decade because I only slept when the kids were at school or daycare or later with the older kids when when, um, my nanny was available. We didn't have a nanny until we had our fourth baby, though. And at that time, no, I take it back. It was my third baby where we got our nanny. Um, And at that time, I also had my 80-something-year-old invalid father to take care of. So Sarah did double duty. She did what I did in my life at that time. She provided child care and elder care. She was awesome. And all these many years later, she's still in contact with me and texts with my kids. I could not have gotten through those years without her. I couldn't have worked my job as a registered nurse without her care. And this was a job my family depended on for half of our income. Now, in many countries, child care is paid for or subsidized, just like kindergarten through high school. But in the U.S., there's an assumption, I guess, that 
every parent has to cover the earliest years, birth through five, by themselves, you know, through family and childcare solutions. Or one of the parents can't work. And in our lifetimes, hardly any family I know can get by on one income. So back to the pandemic this week, we're going to talk about childcare and COVID-19. Now, um, before we get to our guest this week, there's an article that came out in the Huffington Post on Friday, May 15th, 2020, titled, The Childcare Industry is About to Collapse. There's no bailout coming. Um, and it's by the author, Emily Peck. Now, I only want to read a few chunks of it aloud today, but I encourage you to go read the whole thing online. It's a good one. Let me read a bit of it to you now. Parents around the country are wondering when it will be safe to send their kids back to daycare, but soon they might not even have the choice. Many childcare centers, even the ones that are open now, may not be around much longer. According to one estimate, half of licensed operators won't make it through the pandemic. Another survey found that only 11% of childcare providers believe they can survive indefinitely without help. And help is not where it should be, say advocates and child care providers. They were pushing for at least a $50 billion bailout from Congress, something that close to 30 Democratic supporters, senators support. But the stimulus bill House Democrats unveiled this week includes far less than that, $7 billion in block grants to states to use on child care. Now that's a lot of money in normal times for an industry that has been chronically underfunded for decades. Indeed, the Money in the Heroes Act, when combined with the $3.5 billion in grants that Congress tucked into the CARES Act back in March, amounts to more than the federal government typically spends on child care in a given year, said Rebecca Ulrich, a senior policy analyst at the Center for Law and Policy, who works on early childhood education. But these are pandemic times. About 60% of childcare centers are shut down entirely. These businesses operate on thin margins, relying primarily on tuition from parents. It would cost $9.6 billion a month to give operators enough runway to last through six months of shutdowns, according to an estimate Ulrich helped put together. Advocates point out that childcare needs a bailout as much as, if not more than, say, the airline industry. We aren't balking at giving the airlines a, ba- a bailout or any other companies. We shouldn't be balking at giving childcare a bailout. Childcare is an industry that has long been overlooked and undervalued. Taking care of young children, women's work, hasn't been seen as skilled labor. And when caring for children finally did become more of an occupation, it was something done by women of color in the homes of more affluent middle class or higher income income white women. This is a quote from Ulrich. There is this historic long-standing underfunding that is a byproduct of sexism, a byproduct of racism, Ulrich said. And now we're having to convince people that not only It was never enough, but now we need so much more and we need it fast. It's been a really uphill battle to make that case, she added. It's not hard to conclude that the childcare crisis is getting short shrift because it's a women's crisis. 94% of childcare workers are women and a majority are women of color. 
The whole industry is subsidized, not by government funds really, but by the cheap labor these women provide. The average hourly pay for a childcare worker is $11. Many women earn the minimum wage or close to that, including some women with decades of experience. More than 330,000 childcare workers lost their jobs in April. And for each one woman working as a caregiver, several more women, mothers, depend on her. Mothers around the country can't go back to work if their child care center shutters. Read that whole article. It's a good one. And, you know, that's kind of a perfect illustration of that's how pregnancy, parenting, and politics are connected, isn't it? Just how much of the economy consists of women at work? Well, in 2018, there were 75,978,000 women aged 16 and over in the labor force. They represented 46.9% of the total labor force. That's almost half the workforce, and we're doing all the work while taking care of children. We deserve at least as much help as any other industry. So this week's guest is bringing us a very unique perspective on childcare. Dr. Amy Hager is the owner and CEO of a unique child care center called The Night Watch, which provides overnight care for parents who are essential workers. We're going to take a very quick break, and then we'll get right back to our conversation with Dr. Hager. Hey, everybody. I just want to let you know that I'm teaching another writing workshop with my friend, yoga and meditation leader, Rosie Acosta, next Friday, May 22nd at 10 a.m. to 11.15. We're doing this by Zoom, and we'll be talking about how to map out a story to create an outline. Plus, we'll be doing a creativity-generating meditation with Rosie. Come join us if you're ready to learn how to write that story, essay, blog, or book that you've got rattling around in your head. I'll put the link up on my website at jeanfoctor.com. Okay, we're back and we are ready to chat with this week's guest. Let's get Dr. Hager on the line. Hi, Dr. Amy. It's Jeannie. How are you? Good. How are you? doing really well. It's really nice to have you on the podcast, especially during this really crazy, crazy time that we're, we're in. I know. I know. I, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah. We're happy to have you. So, um, I read a little bit of your bio right before we got you on the line today, but the first question I ask everybody is this, who are you and what do you do? Well, um, you know, my name is Dr. Amy Hager, and uh, we are in. I, I'm the CEO of the Night Watch, which is an overnight childcare center in Maryland, and we primarily focus on um, families who work evening overnight. So, all my essential parents, um, most of them are in healthcare. Um, so, um, you know, with this transition, with all of this uh, COVID nineteen whatnot, we were kind of able to just kind of. It's business as usual. We're watching the same parents, same same flexible schedules and whatnot. So, um, yeah, so that's what we do. Well, tell me more about you. We'll talk a whole lot more about your business and what's going on for you right now. But tell me more about you. Well, I used to be a school teacher, and mm-hmm. um, you know there were just some things that were going on that at a classroom teacher level I couldn't fix. Um, and yeah. just years of being kind of frustrated and realizing that maybe I could do more help outside of the classroom as a business owner. Um, 
So that's kind of what kind of gave me the push to get out and start my own business. Um, and I also very much adopted this philosophy of things that I enjoy doing. I mm-hmm. wanted to make it part of my life. So I don't particularly like getting up early in the morning. So I have a business mm-hmm. where I don't have to be there till six. <laughs> um, 6 I enjoy I enjoy traveling. So I find, you know, conferences and whatnot in places that I enjoy going. And then I go. <laughs> so That's just awesome. trying to incorporate it, you know, work and personal and fun and leisure don't necessarily have to be separate. And I think that if you can find a way to kind of marry the two, then you definitely, you know, you're on to something. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're really on to something. It's a really unique business model you have, too. But just one more of the who are you part. Did I read somewhere that you were teacher of the year? I was um, in 2017. I was teacher of the secondary teacher of the year uh, for my school district. I was working at an alternative school. So it was kind of exciting because alternative um, schools don't normally get recognized. We're not mainstream. You know, we're Mm -hmm. not going to be that school you walk through and see perfect attendance um, Mm -hmm. certificates. You're not going to see science fair projects. You're not even going to see like work up on the wall because just, you know, they get mad. They tear it down. You know, it is what it is. Um, You know, they come with a lot of extras and I absolutely loved working there. Um, It was probably my favorite school I ever worked at. And I was really excited to represent them. Um, You know, they they let us participate in the teacher of the year program more so just because everybody else gets to, but we don't normally win. You know, we don't ever really get recognized at that level. And I was really excited to see that. Um, And I'm seeing it in other places. Like I'm seeing like national teacher of the year, like, you know, they're not the traditional teaching honors. I've always come from a place anybody can teach smart kids. So you've got those knucklehead kids and if you can make some magic in there, like that's, that's truly something. So I'm, I'm excited to see that, you know, even though I've gotten out um, to see that teachers that are teaching these, um, you know, really troubled kids um, getting some recognition. Cause it's, it's, it's hard work <laughs> to say yeah. the least. Yeah. It's hard work for the teachers. It's hard work for the kids. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk more about your, your business. Tell me how and why did you start this business? Overnight childcare. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, I'll tell you part of it was, I just didn't like getting up in the morning. (laughs) I taught, you know, I taught high school and you have to be there at like seven o'clock in the morning. And I just remember driving Mm -hmm. to work and my eyes are running and I'm sneezing and I'm thinking, this isn't for me, but you know, it's just, it's silly to say that, Oh, I just don't want to get up early in the morning, but you'd be surprised how, um, how motivated I could be <laughs> to make it. So I don't have to get up that early. But, um, the, one of the major reasons is my father was a police officer in Maryland, like near the Annapolis area. And, you know, he and I would talk about how some of his, you know, police buddies, their wives were either, you know, police officers themselves, or they were dispatchers, or they were nurses. And every now and then you'd get that that week where everybody was working overnight. What do we do with our kids? And there was mm-hmm. no option other than to have, you know, somebody come to the house, which can get very expensive. And any kind of like public assistance that like you can't use that with just some, you know, high school kid, you have babysitting, at, you know, for a couple of weeks or, you know, a couple of nights a month. Um, so to offer a, a center where we can participate in, you know, a state voucher program and we can work with parents and get that tuition taken care of, um, you know, that's, that's definitely offering, 
you know, financial stress and just, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about, well, is my babysitter free or is, you know, you know, my mom or my cousin or whoever's watching my kid, you know, those evening overnight hours, I don't have to worry about them bailing on me last minute. It's consistent. It's professional. It's a center. And, you know, like I said, we do all the same regulations and we take that voucher program, um, you know, the vouchers for childcare, which, um, you know, for a long time, at least in Maryland and no other place in Maryland, we're just in this one little pocket, um, you know, we're able to offer that. So, um, it's you know, brilliant. And it, it it's really brilliant. is. Yeah. Well, it's an honor and privilege just to be able to watch, you know, police officers, kids and nurses, these med techs, um, you know, and they come in in the morning, they're so tired and they've got their protective gear on. And it's just, it's so nice to be able to be helping during this time. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, to just be able to keep their kids safe and tuck them in and make sure the tooth fairy comes and the Easter bunny came a few weeks ago. And just to do all those fun things with the kids at night is um, it's an honor. So, Oh, I love that you're you're looking out for the night shifters. I did night shift as a nurse um, for more than ten years. Oh, and okay. It was so you are no, <laughs> oh, I I know, but yeah. I was one of the really really lucky ones. You know, I would I would work all you know from seven p.m. to seven thirty a.m. You know, three four nights a week. Mm-hmm. But my little ones were at home with my husband, so they yeah. all got to sleep, and then I'd come home and I'd sleep as fast as I could between shifts mm-hmm. and um, go back and do it again. And we did that for a good long time. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the questions I had. You're watching the babies all night, but then they have to go home and go to sleep. Who's watching so that they can sleep? I know. I know. Yeah. And right now yeah. it's because, you know, some of our moms would, you know, pick the kids up in the morning and take them to school. Well, right now in Maryland, school's closed. So <laughs> it's. Uh, oh, my God. It's yeah. I, I, I feel for them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, my God. So you are currently open for business during the coronavirus. How do you accommodate for that? Well, um, you know, like I said, we were already watching kids whose parents were essential. <clears throat> um, so what happened was the our governor kind of shut everything down except for essential businesses. Um, we would fall under a business that promotes the federal infrastructure. So we were to remain open. Um, we had to put some things in place. Like we had to lower our numbers, but we were a fairly new business. And so we weren't at capacity. And the thing with overnight we don't watch the same kids every day. So we have, you know, we have those nurse moms that work those three twelves and that's mm-hmm. it. We don't see them the rest of the week. We've got some moms that work, you know, a couple of days this week, a couple of days next week, um, every other week, you know, so the schedules are always so, so weird. Um, so, um, for us to be able to, um, accommodate that we had to like take temperatures. And um, so we really didn't have to reduce numbers as in our numbers weren't high to start with, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. um, our numbers doubled since the coronavirus started, like to see that we were a huge need in the area. And um, the governor also offered childcare for free for all essentials. So the issue we had of waiting for those vouchers to come in, or maybe a parent just, uh, we would get a lot of moms to say, I just started this job today. I don't have any money to get started with childcare. Um, and that would happen a lot. And then the voucher program, they give 30 days before they can even say yes or no, if we're going to give a voucher, all of this streamline everything. Like parents, all they had to do was show their ID, you know, and have their schedule. And we were able to offer that childcare for free during all of this. Um, so it was really nice how Maryland just really stepped up and put their money where their mouth is. And they gave centers extra money for staying open. They're paying us more per child. And uh, FEMA even gave us um, supplies. They gave, I have yet to buy toilet paper. Like they gave us toilet paper and paper towels and bleach and hand sanitizer. So um, and we you know, participated in all the, the loan programs that the banks were offering. So 
Um, so yeah, we, you know, we've been able to, you know, make offer now we can offer meals. We weren't really able to offer meals before, but, um, with all this, you know, extra bonus pay, we've been able to kind of take some additional things off, uh, the plates of moms. So that's been exciting. It is exciting. I mean, is this a model that is national? Um, you said, you know, I, I have not, I have not heard of this before. This is no, brand I, new I poke around, you know, just to kind of see what's going on. Um, you know, there are a couple centers that might stay open until, you know, midnight, especially on the weekends, but I'm finding that's more for like date night. So they're, you know, they're accommodating those daytime parents for an occasional night out. Um, but yeah. I'm not really seeing, um, a lot of centers <laughs> that are targeting those evening overnights. Um, now in a place like especially, especially not with that kind of governmental support. Oh, no, I mean, no, no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. No, um, yeah. And, you know, once all this is over, you know, we'll still be participating in the state voucher program and they, they, the income um, requirements in Maryland anyway, are actually pretty high. So like a mom and a child, her income can be almost $50,000. Mm-hmm. in order for her to get help. So, mm-hmm. you know, they they upped it, not this summer, the summer before um, in regards to how much money you can make. So it's actually, this program is actually helping working people. And so I think it's fantastic. But um, in regard, like uh, in Las Vegas, for example, they do have 24 hour centers, but that's because that town never sleeps. So, right. you know, that, that would make sense. But um, I, I've seen like one in Miami, you know, I just kind of poke around, but I haven't seen where it's, you know, fleet of them. I don't see any chains of them. Um, so, yeah, I don't see it very often, which I find very interesting because we're in a, I would call where we're at in Salisbury, Maryland, a very small town. Um it's a college town, so it's bigger than the other surrounding towns. We're kind of out in the middle of nowhere in Maryland, um, but we have hospitals, we have nursing homes, we have police, um, you know, police departments. So just those, be- and, and a prison, um, and a couple detention centers. So just those couple of businesses have been able to fuel our little business. I can only imagine what it would look like in Baltimore City or in Miami or you know in New York and some you know some of these bigger areas. I think you know business would boom. There's so much talk right now, you know, about reopening the economy and putting people back to work. But, you know, policymakers and governmental leaders don't seem to realize that's just not going to happen without child care. Parents get that. Women get that. Mm -hmm. Mothers get that. But politicians, not so much. So it's really unusual that um, to hear about that level of support and practicality Mm -hmm. as you're receiving in Maryland. Yeah, our, our governor is, he's quite something. I'm very, very, very happy we have Governor Hogan. He has, I mean, and this was from the very beginning, like as soon as he said, we're shutting everything down, that uh, we had a weekend. I had a weekend to find this thermometer to these kids' temperatures. And then, you know, we were to be back, you know, open back up if you were on this, you know, essential child care list. And not every center opened. And from what I'm hearing, honestly, a lot of the daytime centers are having trouble staying full. So again, just mm-hmm. goes to show like how important we are that, we, I mean, we've been filling up. We get parents call all the time, you know, needing us. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see like tradition, uh, these non-traditional schedules, like these parents need support. And so I'm, yeah. I'm concerned about the ones who can't find it. And like, we're not open before six o'clock. So for the parents who mm-hmm. go to work at three o'clock, like I get a lot of parents that call that they go in at two, they go in at three and there's just no place for them to send their kids. And there's really nothing we can do at this point. Licensing is kind of frozen. You know, no one's going into the office. If you were open before all this started, you're good, but they're not really doing anything like, you know, changing anybody's licensing or anything like that right now. And I completely understand, but, um, you know, I'll be interested to see how long this lasts and, um, 
you know, what, what childcare is going to look like when it's over? Like, are any of these other centers going to look to extend their hours? We may, you know, will, will we decide to open up earlier in the day? Like, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So much is, you know, everything is part of the unknown right now. I know. Yeah. So tell me about, so you mentioned, you know, some of the people that are um, your customers. So tell me a little bit about, more about them. Where are they working? What are their families like? What are they up to? Well, the um, the majority of our moms are single moms and Mm -hmm. they are, um, we have a couple of nurses and we have a couple of, um, I think they're called med techs. They're, what, yeah. And then there's the ones that like go in and clean the hospital room. So like they are the ones that are going in and cleaning up this this virus and making sure, yeah. you know, that the room's ready for the next. Um, some people that work at nursing homes and developmental centers for, you know, our, our neighbors with, you know, some disabilities. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much what they're doing. And, um, you know, like when we get them, sometimes it's the, well, it's not sometimes it's the first time they're doing overnight childcare because we're the only ones and um, you know, they, they work hard and they work odd hours. And I mean, we just really try to, we just try to do what we can, whether it's from, you know, like I said, providing meals or we're, you know, running and picking kids up and bringing them to daycare for them, or even just washing their clothes. If kids have accidents. We always make sure we wash their clothes and send them home with clean stuff. Um, and uh, you know, we just try whatever we can do to try to make things easier for them. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to when all this is over because we're kind of putting money aside for, you know, to do something special for each one of the moms, whether it's sending them mm-hmm. to, you know, a hotel for the night with the swimming pool and be able to send them and their kids for the night or, um, you know, a game a day at Chuck E. Cheese or like whatever, when things start to reopen, yeah. movie theaters, whatever, um, because they're all working. And, um, you know, just like us, we're tired, we're working, we're putting away this money, <laughs> this bonus money. And so to be able to help them focus on when this is over, what are we going to do with the kids? Like, um, because they're still, um, they're working, you know, some of them are working every single day. And um, just so I, I want to be a leader for my staff, but also for them of like, this will pass. And then what mm-hmm. are we going to do to celebrate when we get out of this healthy with a little extra money in our pocket from working so hard? Like, what are we going to do? Yeah. So, yeah. And I just, I just love them to pieces. I love our moms so, so, so much. So how big is the impact of coronavirus in your community? Um. Well, we... Um, are starting to see more cases appear, but it's only because our governor got the, I don't know if you saw. um, So our governor, our first lady is from um, South Korea, I believe. And um, we were able to get like half a million uh, tests. I don't know if you saw any of that on the news. I I didn't see that. Yeah, I have not seen that. Yeah. um, So so her and um, our governor actually made a deal with the country directly and bought tests from because that's, that's, that's where she's from. And yeah. uh, so we have all that to say is we've got half a million tests now. So Maryland's numbers do seem to be spiking, but it's more because people are getting tested. So I don't know if all of a sudden people are getting more sick. It's more of a, we now know that you were sick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I haven't seen anything so, crazy, you know, like they, um, we have a, one of the big spots we have here is that Purdue chicken plant. And I think someone had gotten, had tested positive, but they, they sent every family and everybody could go and get tested. Anybody that worked at that plant. Um, so they, they were able to get a bunch of tests and take care of that. Um, so, you know, anything that I, I am seeing, I'm seeing like local government being able to kind of jump on it and make things happen, but I'm not seeing anything crazy. Like I'm not other than people rushing to the grocery store and stealing up all the toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we don't have the lines out of the grocery stores like they do in some of the bigger areas. Um, I guess when I when I go to the store, when I, I normally just go to Staples and maybe to the grocery stores. The only two places 
places I go and I've been able to see toilet paper cleaning supplies. Now they're keeping it in the back and they're limiting. So you can only take one at a time, but I'm not seeing some of the pandemonium that I'm seeing in some of the other areas. So what is the facility like for kids? Oh, at our center? Yeah. So yeah. Um, our building, we're in like a um, like a little shopping center. Um, so we don't have like a standalone building. And mm-hmm. it used to be two doctor's offices and they knocked down the wall. So um, it's kind of shaped like a like a horseshoe, kind of a U. And every kid has their own bed. We have like rollaway beds. We can't do cots or bunk beds or anything like that. Um, and they like it because it's kind of like summer camp because we're all like one big room together and they all have their own little bed and, you know, if they want to pick a toy or whatever. And then um, actually part of our nighttime routine is we listen to some old school Disney cassette tapes from when mm-hmm. I was a kid. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, it's the stories with the turn the page when you hear the chime, like those stories. I don't know if you remember those <laughs> when you were younger. Um, and uh, it's got the songs at the end and they really enjoy it. So you've got this generation that are so used to cell phones and tablets and video games and they love those tapes. <laughs> What's the age range of the kids? That you've um, our there? youngest is, he just turned one back in February and our oldest mm-hmm. is six. Little ones. You got little ones. Yeah, just just they, a couple. What's it like for them? How do they, you know, their mom drops them off and they're going to spend the night at this place. What's it like for them? Well, we try to get them really excited as soon as they walk in the door. Um, and right now, actually, I'm really proud of them because, you know, they come in, you know, as soon as they get there, we have to take their temperature. So, um, you know, we try to do something fun. I usually have them like, I try to guess something. I'm like, you know, what's your favorite kind of ice cream? And I make them think really hard. And then I scan their head and then I try to guess it. Like, like the thermometer told me the answer. (laughs) Um, and then they have to go wash their hands and take their shoes off and put their coats away. And like, they've been really good about it, especially the ones wearing masks. Um, and then right now we have everybody just kind of sitting at their beds and they have a box of toys. So every night it's like, okay, what's in your box? Um, And so we just try to, you know, pack it with some interesting things. They love bubble wrap and glow sticks and just fun things Mm -hmm. that they can kind of explore and look at and um, discover. And then we'll do... like around Easter, uh, we did like a digital Easter egg hunt. So it was up on our projector. And so doing like whole group instruction, because um, we were all the grades are, t- you know, all the ages are together. So just trying to find things where we can, you know, challenge some of the older ones, but include the, the younger ones. So, um, you know, we're always up for trying new things to get the kids engaged and excited because they're only op- they're only awake for maybe about an hour and a half before we start taking things down for the night. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of them. Like they, they're, they've been little troopers. It's sad to have to put all of our toys away. We used to have everything out, but now we have to keep everything put away and we just kind of pull just enough out because everything has to be sanitized. Um, Mm -hmm. and then they can't run around and play together like they used to. And, you know, trying to explain to them, like, guys, you know, we're trying to keep you safe and, you know, we'll keep the siblings kind of in little corners so you can play with brothers and sisters, but we have to keep everybody kind of separate. But, um, yeah, I mean, we don't really have a lot of kids crying that they don't want to come to daycare. You know, they're, they're excited to come. And I think that like the fact that they have their own little bed and they have their own little toys and, um, we, the night lights, the, the bedtime stories, the whole deal, they, you know, they enjoy it. Good. Yeah. So then how many people, how many kids will be there at one time? It really depends on the night. Um, sometimes we'll have two and sometimes we'll have 10. Um, it really just depends on the night when our moms need us. And then you've got a, the care providers that are there. They're just up all night, keeping an eye out for everybody. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. Yep. Cool. 
we'll do our, like, we'll have our, you know, cleaning schedule or whatever, you know, starting at around like one in the morning and then, you Mm -hmm. know, laundry and all that good stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They've got their work. Yeah. So what has the pandemic been like for you? Um, I mean, I've, I've, I'm an introvert by nature, so I really Mm -hmm. didn't, I'm not really noticing a difference other than busy at work, but, Mm -hmm. um, I can't go to the beach anymore. It's supposed to open up this weekend, but I am fearful that somebody's going to do something stupid and our governor is going to say we can't go there anymore. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, for me, fortunately, you know, my family's been been good. Um, you know, my, I have a grandmother that is, I normally go pick her up. She winters in South Carolina and I was supposed to go get her in March and I have I had to leave her. I couldn't go get down and get her. So um, another family member is going to go scoop her up this weekend. But um but other than that, and I'm just kind of staying home and not really being able to see family members like I typically would. Um, and then there were some um, some business trips that I had planned in March to go down to um, Florida. That's our that's where we'd like to open our next spot is in South Florida. So um, so those trips had to be canceled, obviously. But um, but, yeah, but other than that, no big deal that, that we can we can reschedule. We can take trips later. That's a great attitude. Life goes on. Yeah. 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 So what else do you want listeners to know about your work and your business and you? Um, Well, I think working with this population of folks, it really highlighted the fact that like the world doesn't seem to care about them much. Like there's this whole set of people that keep us running at night and to know that they're not often thought about when it comes to, um, I'm just speaking from childcare, for instance. Um, You know, it's very possible for us to watch kids seven days a week and we're open twice as long as any other center yet when it comes to um you know the how much money we'll get paid by the state they they price us just like they would a center that's open five days a week just you know eight to six or whatever you know the hours are um even like the forms that we have to turn in like we have to make our own forms because it you know parents come in on one date and then they leave on the next date you know in the morning yeah yeah. That, you know, the forms and, and whatnot, the invoices, like it's always a headache for my poor director trying to fit our stuff on their forms because they're not thinking about us. Um, mm-hmm. Like even right now, we're supposed to turn in like how many kids we see each day. Well, they don't ask us for Saturday and Sunday. So we have to put everything on Mondays, which makes our numbers look weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So just that that sort of thing. I noticed that they're not thinking about our parents. They're not thinking about they're not taking us into consideration sometimes. Um, and I understand that when you're not with the majority, sometimes you're going to be left out, but, um, you know, we, we really try to advocate for our parents and, um, you know, they, they deserve, they deserve this stuff too. They need it too. Yeah. I've been saying that one of the silver linings of this, of the pandemic is that we're really seeing who is essential to keep mm-hmm. the world running Hundred and it. It isn't so much those CEOs, is it? Mm-hmm. It's not so much those, you know, the people in the executive suites. It's the people that are taking care of the babies, mm-hmm. going to work, cleaning the floors, stocking the shelves, nursing the sick. It's these are the people that are running the world and frankly kind of always had. Oh, absolutely. Have, just don't have the power. So yeah. now there's a big spotlight on care providers and service providers and people are starting to really recognize what essential service is. Absolutely. You know? Top Absolutely. to bottom essential service and what leadership looks like. Yeah. And I'm hoping, you know, just small business in general, um, you know, I really try to be vocal about our wins 
you know, that we did get our small business grant, that, you know, our bank is still in the works with us for the, you know, the paycheck protection. Like I, I tell people about that, not to say, Hey, check us out. But you know, you talked about those billionaire CEOs, like it's not going to be them that saves us. It's going to be small businesses. When we get this money, instead of lining our pockets and mimicking these billion dollar CEOs, taking that money and reinvesting it, sending bonuses, like getting this money to our staff, like we have, like, it's going to be us that's going to change the way that things can be done. Because right now, the rich folks, they're comfortable in their millions and they're panicking. Like, we had went to pitch our business in February to, you know, a multi-million dollar pitch at, like, a pitch um, competition. And the investors were very much interested in us. Do you think I've heard from them since all this has started? (laughs) Like, hell no. Absolutely not. Like, the rich people are panicking. And, you know, I've emailed because I thought, well, maybe I'll email them and let them know how how much in demand we are right now. And I still have yet to hear anything. And that's okay because we needed an influx of cash. And this pandemic has given this small business owner an influx of cash. So, and I honestly, and I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody who gets investors and I'm not just saying I wouldn't get one in the future, but I would have a very hard time sleeping at night knowing that I was be, I would be expected to give money to these rich folks that are safe within their millions and I've got my staff subjecting themselves working and I'm not giving them a bonus. I'm sending money off yeah. to somebody else. Um, yeah. So if anything I've learned is that moving forward, if I do have investors, I want to make sure we have these conversations of mm-hmm. if this ever happens again, just so you know, I will not be sending you any money and anything extra mm-hmm. will be going to my staff, the ones that are putting themselves in harm's way. <laughs> Darn right. Yeah. Love this message. Yeah. Well, hey, we are getting close to the end of our time together, but I have three Rapid fire questions to wrap things up with. Okay, you ready? Great. Yeah. Okay. Oh, first and foremost, though, before we get to rapid fire, uh, what's the website that we can send listeners to learn more about you and, and your work? Yeah, it's the, um, Night it's Watch. the, the nightwatchchildcarecenter.com. Excellent. All right. All right. Ready, set, go. What role does feminism play in your life? Oh, well, I think it's important that um, we embrace what makes us female, Um, whether it's the emotion, you know, I think as women, women business owners, we have to surround ourselves around other female business owners, because often the only uh, model we had were these like men and men are really good at, you know, they can trash each other in the boardroom and then they can go out for drinks later or go for golf on Saturday. Women, we don't know how to do that. Like we can't just leave it in the boardroom. And Mm -hmm. so I think as women, we have to find other ways to express our emotion and to communicate and to leave the cattiness out of, out of things because it doesn't make us money and it just pulls on our energy. And we have to lean on each other to figure out what this is going to look like in regards to feminism and business. I don't think it's like, when I was in college, I used to watch Sex in the City and Miranda mm-hmm. comes to mind. I remember Miranda getting pregnant and she was a lawyer and her feeling like she had to hurry up and come back from maternity leave and, and feel like she, she couldn't ha- show her wear maternity clothes. And I just remember thinking like, you don't have to pick one or the other. Like you can be a successful woman who is breastfeeding and has her kids and goes on vacation and has, you know, has uh, her kids artwork in the wall, uh, on the wall. Like don't make your, like, don't turn down your femininity to make these men feel comfortable. I love that. Yeah. Okay. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever, nobody ever told me that. Um, nobody ever told me that it was going to be complete strangers that were going to give me the most support for my business. Mm. All right. Yes. 
All right. You think this it's going to be, obviously you think it's going to be a friend or a family member that's going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. And often it is not. Like my, my center director, she's a complete stranger. And I met her and she's wonderful. And she worked for me for a year for free. And she continues to like wow me and impress me. And like I said, she was a complete stranger. I met her on Facebook. <laughs> Whew. Love that. Yes. Okay. Last question then is, where do you stand in the world of motherhood? Well, I do not have any biological children of my own, but I do think that um, this idea of like the the childless woman, I feel like we are a hot commodity that a lot of people don't realize. I feel like my friends who have children, I'm that touch to before they lost their mind to their kids and husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm the one that can kind of sometimes talk them off the ledge and remind them about who they were before they had kids before everyone called their mom and wife and and when they were just, you know, Shonda, when they were just, you know, like Sarah, like before they became wife and mom. Um, And then the other piece is I am definitely open up to the the idea that I can be a mom and I can mother on people without actually having kids. And being a school teacher, I did that constantly. And sometimes I kept those kids for a season and sometimes you know, I, I've, my one, I had her when she was 16, she's about to be 28. So, and I, you know, I love her kids and, you know, I always call her my firstborn because she was like the first, my first high school kid that I like, I really bonded with. And, um, so yeah, just kind of being open to the idea of motherhood doesn't have to look like one thing. And, Mm. um, yeah, I, I enjoy my role with motherhood. That's an excellent answer. Thank you. Well, Dr. Amy, it has been really enlightening to talk to you. I've really enjoyed having this conversation. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, we will perhaps talk again down the line. Okay, very good. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. for this week, everybody. You can learn more about Dr. Amy Hager and The Night Watch at nightwatchchildcare.com. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. Yes, I'll spell the name. J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. Email me at jean at jeanfaulkner.com. You can find us over on Twitter at jeanfaulkner. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Pregnancy Parenting and Politics. We're produced by Recluse Records, and we'll talk again next week. Bye-bye, everybody.